So good to be here. Um, I was out uh, most of June, kind of in and out, uh, traveling, doing some stuff. And one of my stops uh, this last month was out to Estes Park, Colorado. If you guys did not know, we run a, our, our national um, uh, ministry, the network of churches that we're a part of. These are all the H2Os, but then there's even more outside of that. Um, we go to Estes Park, Colorado, which is this beautiful little town nestled in the mountains of the Rocky Mountain National Park. And we run a summer-long program out there, and we have a handful of folks from our church out there this summer, so we went out there to check on them. But while I was there, I took my son Mason with me. He's 12. We snuck in a little bit of hiking, and I have a picture to prove it. Um, and so this is us on our way to uh, Sky Pond, and uh, this is not Sky Pond, but um, this is on our way, because when we got to Sky Pond, I looked like a mess because I was exhausted and tired. And Mason started this new tradition this summer where uh, when he summits a mountain or makes it to one of these alpine lakes, he sticks his face in the water um, wherever there's water nearby. So um, when we got to Sky Pond, we're, our faces were wet and it's, it's just a mess. So this is on our way up there. Beautiful time. Whenever I'm in Colorado, um, and this is my segue into the sermon, um, maybe a bad one. Uh, I think about Psalm 19, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. And I know it's not the heavens, but it's, but it's high, but the altitude is really high. And there's just something about being there that, for me at least, draws me closer to God. And I, and I just love it out there. And so um, we are in this series that we've been doing all summer called The Summer in the Psalms, and uh, I am so excited that I get to be up here to teach this morning because I have fallen in love with the Psalms over the last three years of my life. I'd read them as a new Christian kind of off and on, um, but in the last three years, I've committed to reading them daily. Now, confession, I skip every now and then. I skip. It's okay. Maybe you do too. Maybe you don't. Good for you. Um, but for about three years straight, mostly every day, I have read a psalm and, and prayed through that psalm slowly, um, and I, I believe that I have been deeply changed and transformed in that discipline, and I think what I've realized is that there's something about the nature of the psalms that invites us not just to read them, not even just to pray them, but to live them, to inhabit them. And that's what I think keeps drawing me back to that they invite us to, to live in light of them and to have them consume our lives. Uh, we've been in this series. You've probably heard all this stuff, but let me just do this just to kind of download the data of the Psalms, just to sort of set a, a foundation before we dive in. The book of Psalms is this collection of 150 ancient prayers that are actually uh, poems, they're poetry. Uh, written by numerous authors 3,000 years ago. They are blisteringly honest, blisteringly honest, if you read through them. They are hauntingly accurate at capturing the human experience. They're visceral. They're gut level. They are unfiltered. They are the prayers of real people struggling to live out faith. In God. They are, to be fair, deeply theological, but their theology always is connected to the real life of their authors. And they are the work of poets. When we read them, 
it's important for us to know that we are reading ancient Hebrew poetry. Now, Eugene Peterson, uh, he's, he's gone now, pastor, writer, theologian, translated the message, um, expert in the languages. He wrote this about poetry in general, thinking about the poetry of the Psalms. He says this, poets tell us what our eyes blurred with too much gawking and our ears blurred, or, I'm sorry, our ears dulled with too much chatter miss around and within us. Poets use uh, words to drag us into the depth of reality itself. Poetry grabs us by the jugular. Far from being cosmetic language, it is intestinal. That's a funny word, intestinal. And what Peterson is trying to say is there's something uh, that poetry does and what the Hebrew poets who've authored these psalms, they just capture our hearts in an honest and in a raw way. The language is beautiful. At times, it's astoundingly beautiful, but it's not just about the cosmetics. It's about what it's saying about the human experience. The Psalms speak often of the nature of God. I think that's what I love about them, and as I pray through them, I feel like it's transformed my own prayer life to go from just a me-centered, God, do this, do this, do this, do this. The Psalms so often just, just gush about who God is and his nature and his character. And Tim Keller says this about the Psalms. The Psalms help us see God, not as we wish or hope him to be, but as he actually reveals himself. The descriptions of God in the Psalter, which is the book of Psalms, are rich beyond human invention. He is more holy, more wise, more fearsome, more tender and loving than we could ever imagine him to be. The Psalms fire our imaginations into new realms and yet guide them toward the God who actually exists. I love that. They stir our imagination. They stir our thinking and our pondering and our reflecting and our meditating on who God is, but they draw us back to who he is. They speak just as often of the human experience. They give voice to the full range of human emotion, right? Sorrow, anger, hopelessness, fear, anxiety, anticipation, joy, etc. But they don't just give voice to those things. They map for us what it would look like to encounter God in that emotion. They map for us. They show a path for us of what it would look like to have communion with God in the midst of whatever that emotion is. They're prayers. We are reading somebody else's prayers when we read the Psalms, okay? It's like we stole their journal and we're reading their prayers. And here's the thing. I think that we learn to pray at least in part by listening to other people pray. I remember as a brand new Christian, age 19, I had no idea what I was doing, wasn't really sure how to pray, and I just listened to other people. I listened to smarter, wiser, older, more mature Christians pray, and I just imitated them. So much of our spiritual formation comes by way of imitation, right? And one of the things that I noticed as a, as a young Christian was that people would sometimes pray the words of the Bible. And most often it seemed that they were praying the Psalms. And I would think as I'm in this prayer thing, this prayer is happening all around me, I would think, wait, is, is that the Bible? Are, is that their words or is that 
the Bible. Are, can you do that? <laughs> like, are you allowed to just pray the Psalms as your own prayers? Like, and sometimes I wouldn't know if it was their words or the words of Scripture. Bonhoeffer, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my heroes, I try to quote him in all of my sermons, um, he once said that, that when they cut Jesus, he bled the Psalms. Jesus would have been raised to sing and to, to, to meditate on and to memorize the Psalms. The, the, the Psalms were Jesus' prayer book that he would have been raised in. He quoted the Psalms 11 times more than any other Old Testament book. And it's, it's really interesting. This is a study you can do later. But even in the, the passion narrative, to sort of follow his usage of the Psalms all throughout that story, probably most famously as he's hanging from the cross, and he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's quoting Psalm 22. It was just right there. The Psalms were right there for him. Bonhoeffer also said this, and I want it to guide our time together today. He said, the more deeply we grow into the Psalms and the more often we pray them as our own, the more simple and the more rich our prayers become. I would love simplicity and richness to define my prayer life. Simple because I'm not, I'm not striving, I'm not trying to impress, I'm not trying to like put on a show for God. There's a, there's a kind of a humble, simple honesty to my prayers, but rich because they reveal a level of depth and intimacy with God that I long for, that I would respect the majesty and the wonder of God, that I would experience the nearness of God, so the simplicity, but yet the depth and the, risk, the richness. And the reality for us, church, is that our prayers reveal who God is to us. Our prayers reveal who God is to us. You've heard us say this here before, I am certain, right? If all you ever pray is, God, give me this. God, do this. God, work out these circumstances for me. God, do this, do this, do this. Then your conception of God is probably overly that God is just like this divine cosmic vending machine that just exists to dispense stuff for us. And if we ask enough, he will spit out the thing that we need. If all we ever pray about in our prayers is our circumstances. God, would you orchestrate this thing? Would you get me out of this thing? Would you protect me and, and like make this bad thing not happen to me? We probably think right, that God's chief interest in our lives is our comfort. But it is not. His chief interest is our worship, our being made like him for the sake of this world. And so who is the God of your prayers? It's a question that you can leave here and would encourage you just to, to ponder and to chew on. Who is the God of your prayers? Most of us would say that our prayer lives need help. We need to pray more. We need to pray with more honesty. We need to pray with more reverence. We need to uh, tell God who he is in our prayers. And I think one of the best ways that we can sort of, and I hate to word it this way, but like improve our prayer life, because I don't want to make it sound like this, but one of the ways that we can draw near to God and experience depth of intimacy with God, I think, and what I've become convinced of in three years, is to pray the Psalms. 
to just pray the Psalms, pray them as our own. To pray the Psalms is to pray the very words that God gave us. To pray the Psalms is to pray the very words that God gave us, right? So we believe that God sovereignly orchestrated the inspiration of the scriptures, that what we hold in our hands when we hold our Bibles is a gift from God to us, right? And they, 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 they contain power to penetrate down deep into our soul and that the Spirit of God, when we open the scriptures, goes to work in our hearts in a special way. And when we pray the words of the Psalms, there's like this extra level that's happening, right? Because we are even surrendering our own voices. We're surrendering our own words. And I'm not saying that we do this exclusively, that you never pray your own prayers. I'm just saying that when we balance it and we pray the Psalms, something is happening. There's like this built-in humility because we're surrendering even our own voice. And I think because the scripture is living and active, and that it penetrates down into the marrow of our bones, I believe that we position ourselves to encounter God when we read and we pray them. Prayer is not so much about getting our words to God as it is about getting his words into us, right? That's actually, that's actually what prayer is. It's this back and forth, it's this conversation, it's this interaction with a living God. And as we say our words and as we offer up our prayers, he is speaking to us and he is communicating with us and more of his truth gets in us. And I think that that kind of prayer changes us. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to be in Psalm 23, which might be one of the most famous psalms of all of them. I'm gonna, we're going to read through it. I'm just going to make a few pretty short kind of comments on the text, and then what we're going to do as a whole church is we're going to pray through Psalm 23. Um, I'll invite Kent up. He'll play a little guitar in the background, and we will just slowly, with some silence in between, meditate on and pray Psalm 23 as a church. Okay? So I'm going to read Psalm 23 out of the ESV version. It says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want... He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I read those words, and I just think, don't they just invite us into the presence of God? So let's do it line by line, just making a few quick comments. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And so the imagery here, right, is of a shepherd and of the sheep. You can imagine in this imagery, God is the shepherd and we are the sheep. And one thing we know about sheep is that they are not very intelligent. Uh, they need to be led. They need a shepherd. And so God is the shepherd, right? And the shepherd has one job. He lives for one thing, to care for the sheep, to protect the sheep, to ensure that the sheep have all that they need 
to thrive. When the psalmist here, David, says, I shall not want, in other translations it gets translated out to, I lack nothing. The idea here is what he's trying to say is, I, there is, I don't find myself in want of anything. Because God is my shepherd, I find myself not wanting anything, not being in want of anything. Isn't that crazy to think about our own lives and all the scrambling we do, all the anxious running around trying to control our environment, trying to control our circumstances, trying to in a frenzy just go around and sort of run our lives. This passage speaks right to that tendency in us and says, no, God is our shepherd. He is looking after us. He's providing for us. He is protecting us. He is giving us all that we need for life. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. One of the things about sheep is that they don't easily lie down. They just don't naturally want to do that, and they only do it when they feel most safe and when their bellies are full and they're not hungry. And the pastures and the waters that are referenced here, they point to this idea of sustenance and even abundance, and then the rest that follows, like after a really good meal on Thanksgiving Day when you just pass out on the couch and you're resting. And what David is saying is that because God is our shepherd, he leads us to that place. He provides us rest because in him we have everything that we need. He delivers us to that place, a place of rest. And here's what happens when we get there. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. God doesn't just give us our food and drink. He does his deep, deep work of restoring us. He knows that we're battling sin. He knows that we're being tempted to believe the lies of the enemy. He knows just the weight of the brokenness of this world presses down on us. And we're full of sorrow and exhaustion. And he tends to our souls. And we know and where we sit in human history that his work that deep work that he's doing in us ultimately is to make us more like Jesus. To use all of the realities of our life to form and to fashion us more into the image of Jesus for the sake of the world. He leads us for his name's sake, for his purposes that he might get glory in us. And the way that God gets glory in you and I is by making us look more and more like Jesus. Now, notice this turn. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. See, shepherds would keep moving their sheep around, right, to avoid predators and to lead them to new pastures, to find new, fresh grazing areas to eat, and sometimes they would traverse really scary terrain. And so the rod and the staff are used to sort of guide the sheep to where they need to go to change their course if they need to. And again, in this imagery, we are the sheep. And what David is saying is that we too wander into scary places, whether it's by our own choosing, in our own brokenness and sin, or sometimes just because this world is broken 
and evil exist, we get into these places, and God in his kindness is sort of gently pulling us by the crook of the staff back onto the safe path, to the path that leads us to life. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, this is remarkable language in the midst of a battle against enemies. David is saying that God is inviting him to sit and dine with him, to feast with him at a table. The table is a place of intimacy. To be invited to the table of a king is a high honor, right? So in the midst of the struggle against the enemy, God says, would you come and sit? Would you come and be with me? The anointing of the head is, is a blessing, often done before someone goes to, to accomplish some sort of task or go on some sort of mission. And so he blesses us, and it says that our cup overflows. Again, another sort of capturing of abundance, of abundance. And then he ends with, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. What a journey. <laughs> in six verses, we went from green pastures and still waters to this place of rest and of comfort and of peace. And then we went to the valley of the shadow of death. And then we went to a battlefield. And then we went at the very end to this vision of the day when we will be with God forever in the resurrection life, when we will see him and we will dwell in his house forever. And I just think that alone is a beautiful picture of what real life is like. There are days where it feels like we are in the green pastures, and there are days that feel like a battle or days where we're in the valley of despair. And we think about what is yet to come, and it motivates us and sustains us to move forward. So beautiful beautiful words. They demand to be prayed. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to invite Kent to come up. And what we're going to do is we're just going to read this psalm slowly, line by line, inviting God to speak to us in it, giving a little bit of time in between each verse. Um, and we're just going to ask, God, what would you like to say to us today? Is there something, is there a line, is there a phrase, is there there's some part of this psalm that just touches something happening in your own life, in your own heart. And we're going to trust and ask boldly that God would meet us and speak to us in that. I invite you to bow your heads, close your eyes, whatever uh, journal, take notes, whatever works for you. I'll start here with a moment of silence, and then we'll, we'll get into it. Okay? So let's pause for just a second before we start. Come, Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today? God, would you connect the words of this psalm to our lives? Lord, those areas in which you want to speak, 
pray that we would receive from you now. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And Father, we spend so much of our time and our effort trying to control our lives. We are afraid to let go, afraid to fully trust you. And yet you are the shepherd. You lead us. You care so deeply for us. You tend to our needs. God, help us to know the reality that in you we lack nothing. We want so many things, and yet with you as our shepherd, we shall not want. With you, we have everything. And so we lay down and we surrender all of our wants to you now. We declare that you are all that we truly want. You are all that we need. So God, we do that now. In the stillness, we lay before you all of the things that we want to control, all the things that are bringing anxiety and fear into our lives. We just place them before you. Make me lie down in green pastures. You lead me beside still waters. God, you are so good to us. You grant us rest and you give us peace. Our lives are full of noise, so much noise, God. We are anxious about many things. The rest of the pastures and the still waters seems out of reach, and yet down deep, God, we know that we long for it and you lead us there. And so God, we surrender all of those burdens that you've placed upon our hearts and our minds, even in these last few moments. Would you help us, God, to embrace the rest that you want to give us? my soul. You lead me in paths of righteousness for your name's sake. God, as we rest in you, you breathe your life into us. You revive us and you renew us. And we ask, would you do that now?
Some of us are walking through difficult things, facing decisions and challenges. We may be confused or uncertain. Some of us are wrestling with sin as we keep running to things that we know cannot satisfy us. And so God, would you give us a vision of the path of righteousness that you lay out before us? Would you show us what needs to change? Give us a vision for what you're inviting us into. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. God, you protect us. You always, always walk out ahead of us. In the face of the most difficult and the most scary things, you do not abandon us. For those of us in the room who are scared, who are facing circumstances that we cannot handle in the areas of our lives that seem dark and scary. We cling to you. We trust, God, that you are still leading us. God, grant us hope. Grant us a a fearlessness that comes from knowing that you are with us and that you are guiding us. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. God, you who are our everlasting king, you who formed us from dust, you who are before all time, you invite us to come and to dine with you at your table. God, I pray that we would do that even now and that we would receive abundantly from you. That which you want to give us in light of whatever it is that's filling our hearts and our minds, in the midst of the battle that is just life, that we would know that you wanna give us good gifts and that you wanna meet us and lead us to abundance. And so would you fill us now with what we need 
Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in your house forever. As I invite the band back up, God, we, we just say thank you. Thank you that you do not forsake us, that you do not treat us as our sins deserve, that day after day you pour out mercy over our lives. And we groan, God, with all of creation for that day when you will set the world to right, when our faith will become sight, when all that is broken and blemished will be made perfect. God, would you remind us of that glorious future? Would that future give us a hope and a strength now? And Lord, whatever it is that you may have stirred in us, Lord, if there's an action, if there's something that you're wanting us to continue to meditate on and to meet with you about, or there's something specific that you're asking us to do, to surrender, Lord, I ask that you would grant us by the power of your spirit, the humility and the courage to do that. We thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the beautiful ways that you meet us as we open our Bibles and invite you to speak. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.